Hello again, it's Andrew here. I'm just going to do Learning Church from the Word, Study 6, and this is podcast number 6. I've entitled this uh, podcast in this study, uh, Spiritual Gifts and the Local Church, and it's part 1 of part uh, 2 uh, of a two-part series on spiritual gifts in the local church. Now, <clears throat> just by nature of the whole big subject of spiritual gifts in the local church, there's several uh, key areas, as it were, that, that we have to touch upon and, and some things that we have to uh, look at. <clears throat> but perhaps the best way to do it is look at First Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, which is really helpful uh, for our understanding of this subject. Now, I'm not going to look in a lot of depth in this study anyway uh, at spiritual gifts um, from the perspective of whether or not some gifts that were in the early church are now extant today, i.e. still in vogue, um, such as tongues and healing and prophecy, those kind of, of things. I'm going to look at it firstly um, from the perspective of the Corinthian church when these, when these uh, gifts were definitely still in vogue. Um, and we're just going to learn the big principles of spiritual gifts firstly, and then we can deal with um, some of the things that come out of that perhaps in another study. <clears throat> so if you have the, the sheet, which is available uh, online, um, study six, spiritual gifts in the local church A, um, you'll notice in the introduction, I've put it like this, the last study, that is chapter 11, uh, we learned that we are in danger of looking at the local church as a service provider and ourselves as consumers. Now that, that's the age we live in. That's the Western world for you. We don't really look at, um, or we're in danger of not looking at the church as um, the house of God and we as worshippers. Um, we, we, we kind of have this idea that as we go into places that how can this place serve me? We are egocentric, in other words, without even realising at times, we are, we are self-centred in our approach to um, whatever um, ch church or something like that we go into. Rather than Christocentric, we, we're not thinking of, is Christ in the centre here? Is God's word being honoured? If this is the house of God, or his rules being applied? That's not the way we often look at these things. So people come to their local church and they say, how can this church serve me? Uh, and if it doesn't fit, well, I'll, I'll find another church I'm comfortable with. Um, and often the questions that aren't asked are, why does the, what does the Bible teach about a local church? Is there a pattern in church structure and governance and functioning in the New Testament? Um, or, or even is the Lord Jesus Christ central to the beliefs, teachings... Uh, of this local church. Now many local churches will say that he is central but um, sometimes it only works itself out in you know you being there and you realizing is the Lord in the center of what we are doing uh, or not or or is it a social club that has a good um, I don't know a good website that tells you what to believe but doesn't seem to really follow that through in practice. <clears throat> And the big thing is, in a local church, we want him to have the preeminent place. We want him to be honoured and worshipped. Now we noticed in 1 Corinthians 11, before we got to chapter 12 to 14 as we're in now, we noticed uh, two areas where Christ can be honoured. We noticed in the displayed symbol of head covering, 
we saw in this a picture of Christ, um, which honors the distinct roles of men and women that are given in a local church. And then we saw that in the, the Lord's Supper, there's a way in which we can honor him. There should be a spirit of unity and love to mark the gathering. People aren't to be cliquish or selfish. That was last study. Um, in fact, the disunity among believers in at the end of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, was such that some were feasting and others were going hungry in the same gathering. Um, now, there, there's a kind of modern comparison I think we can make. I put it in the first appendix of this study. Um, and it's a big thing that grew up in the 90s and the, the, the early 2000s. Um, and the kind of catchphrase was, this is not your grandparents' church. And they were probably doing it out of, of, of good, a lot of good motives. Um, they, they were kind of trying to catch people that had fallen away from going along to a local church. Um, and so we have, we have an article by Chalice, if you want to go and look in Chalice's blog online. Uh, this is not your grandparents' church. Um, however, really, as that article points out, there's a real problem with that when we come to the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11. And it's the idea that the, your grandparents and those of that generation really aren't welcome in that place. If they were to go there, they would go hungry while others, presumably millennials, can have what they want, you know, whether it's the, the type of music, many other things that, that are ongoing at that time. Okay, so that that's the way um, we have in the background, I think, of... of, of First Corinthians 11. Now coming on to chapter 12. What we notice in chapter 12 is this. We have in chapter 12 the distribution and function of gifts. So often we start from the point of view of what is my spiritual gift but really perhaps we should ask the question what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? What do they show? What are their use? What's the aim of these gifts? How can I use mine for God's glory? You know, whether I even know what mine is, if I'm in the Lord's, the place the Lord places me, he will overrule it. I'm using my gift, I take it. Chapter 12, distribution and function of the gifts. Chapter 13, the motivation for the use of the gifts. They should be done in love. You see, a lot of the background of Corinthians is coming out here. They were focusing on certain gifts that they thought were more spectacular um, tongues and certain things like that um, and they were following men that perhaps had these gifts uh, and, and what he is dealing with in chapter 12 is simply that there's a distribution of gift and there's a unity among the body and a, the, the picture of a physical body is brought before us and, and then he says just the way a hand and a foot work together and a head and an, an eye and an ear work together, we should be working together. You know, there shouldn't be those who are saying, I am, I am, I'm not the hand, so I'm not of the body. That's a, a, it seems to be the idea of, um, of, um, feeling in some way inferior, uh, or, or even the alternative, you know, um, those who feel superior in the, uh, over other ones, and yet other ones do vital functions. So, 
that's what he's going to deal with in chapter 12 as we'll look at it. Chapter 13 he's going to look at love and chapter 14 he's going to look at how you regulate the gifts and the use of gifts and regulations in relation to the local gathering of the Lord's people. Now just one other thing before we read this passage. Appendix 2, I've illustrated it in engine parts. Some have suggested chapter 12 is like the parts of the engine that are in place. You know, the gifts that are given under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, these are the gifts. Um, this is how it should function in the sense of a body. And then chapter 13 is the oil is supplied so that this, the, these gifts work properly. That's the love of chapter 13 uh, for, for gifts to be working properly. Uh, there needs to be the oil of divine love, as it were. And then, then we have the working engine in chapter 14. How all the principles that you operate, to actually operate the engine, well, this is the principles that operate in a local church when you're using gifts in that public sense of gift use. Um, now, gifts, I think, are broader than just the public gatherings of large people. I think this is important to understand. But we'll get there in our studies. So let's go back to chapter 12 and we'll read chapter 12 together and then we will just run down it quite quickly and take out some of the main lessons that we can learn in our own spiritual lives and for our own, for our own local church. So <clears throat> chapter 12, reading from verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gift, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the mutual profit of all. For to the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ or the Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. We just we just read from verse twelve again. I got interrupted there. For <clears throat> as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, or whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. The foot should say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleases. As he pleased. And if they were 
all one member were with the body be. But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow greater honour. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to the part which lacked it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all the apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do you all have gifts of healings? Do you all speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now we know the Lord blesses his word. We'll just commend ourselves to the Lord. Father, help us to understand thy word better, uh, and that as we meditate upon this passage of scripture, that we might be able to draw from our principles that help us in our daily lives as a local church of thy people. In the Lord's name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at this chapter and draw out the main points that come from the chapter and then see how it affects us in our dealings with other believers and in our uh, local church gatherings. <clears throat> now you'll notice how he starts the chapter. Uh, I've termed it testing spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You see, actually, you'll notice I put the word gifts in it in inverted commas here, or in brackets, I should say, because really the idea is concerning spirituals. I think he's going on to speak about the fact that there are spiritual manifestations, if you like, among them, that that's mainly seen in gifts. Um, but he wants them not to be ignorant. He wants them not to be unschooled or unthought with regard to this. Just because there is some evidence of spiritual work doesn't mean that necessarily that spiritual work comes from the right source. So first of all he's going to speak about how we test, one of the tests we have for spiritual gifts. Um, he says in verse number 2, You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. In other words he's saying just think back a minute to your unconverted days. What way were you carried away to idols was there a spirit involved in that yes there was i mean you go to hindu countries today and those countries that are marked by idolatry very particularly there are deep spiritual forces at work there are miracles that take place uh, false miracles and lying wonders we might say to lift another passage and so these things actually happen so just because you're having some manifestation of, of a spirit at work among you does not mean that necessarily that source is good and therefore you must test the spirits now your mind might be going with like me to first john chapter four in first john uh chapter four um i think it's chapter four yeah um 
Beloved, believe not every spirit. Verse number one. But test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he'll go on and he'll say there, but by this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming as now already in the world. And really what he's saying there in First John is that every teacher that comes, comes manifesting a spirit. Either the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Antichrist. In other words, Either for or against Christ. And that is in every teacher. Now he's speaking about big fundamental areas here. The doctrine of Christ. Those important things. You see what was happening in John's day. Was that there were people going about and saying. Well you know what. Yeah. We don't really think that. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. In fact we think that the Christ came upon him at his baptism and left him before the cross. That's the kind of background we have. There's this idea of a, a, a mysticism and some really thought that he was a sort of spiritual being, not truly human. And others felt that the Christ kind of fell upon the man Jesus and left the man Jesus before the cross. And all these kind of weird and wonderful ideas were being floated and they had actually germinated and developed within the companies of the Lord's people until eventually when there was a clear stand against them they had gone out because they were not off us he says because if they had been off they would have continued with us so in this case what he is saying at this point in first John chapter 4 is that there is a doctrinal test for teachers and if they come and they don't they don't comply to the doctrine of Christ we know that their spirit is wrong what they're coming with is wrong now it's not that difference in first corinthians chapter 12 you know that your gentile carried away to these dumb idols whoever you were led in other words you know that there are these forces at work they carried you to idols in the past verse number three therefore because of this i make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of god calls jesus accursed and no one can say that jesus is lord except by the holy spirit in other words, what he's saying, and he uses the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, you notice, two names of uh, the Holy Spirit, um, very particular names of the Holy Spirit, paralleled here. But then he says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. In other words, any derogatory thing said about Christ can't come from the Spirit of God. So that's one, if you like, litmus test that we can place against um, the working of, of spiritual gifts and spiritual things among God's pe people. Is it honouring to Christ? Is it glorifying Christ? Is it actually de taking away from Christ? We can kind of get an idea which spirit it's coming from. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say it except by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this is more than obviously just the words Jesus is Lord. You were, if you were to go on to... The website even of some obvious cults, they will speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to go onto the the the, the websites and, and, and listen to the, the preachings of, of some of these people like Keith Dollar and and Copeland, uh, Kenneth Copeland, um, and and other people um, like the um, the different 
false teachers that are around, some with the prosperity gospel, they have no problem with using the word Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, let's be clear about this. But it's just a word. It's just a word to them. And he's speaking about something deeper here, obviously. In other words, things that exalt Christ, that really, truly, someone saying truly from my heart that Jesus is Lord, it must come from the Holy Spirit. And so he gives that big, broad, introductory test uh, for us uh, at the beginning of dealing with this whole subject of spiritual gifts. They must be leading to the glory of Christ. They must be saying that Jesus is Lord. Testing spiritual gifts. Now, secondly, I want to think of sourcing spiritual gifts, verse 4 to 6. I had a very complex outline for this chapter, and it can be a lot more complex, but I think this will do for today. Sourcing spiritual gifts, verse 4 to 6. Now, notice what he says. There are, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but... It is the same God who works all in all. Now notice how this is brought together. Spirit, Lord, God. This is the Trinity. Unity in action. Unity in diversity in action. They each have a role. The persons of Godhead each have a role to play in the outworking of spirituals among God's people. Now that's tremendous just to think about. The gifts come from the same spirit, verse 4. The ministries, the services are under the same Lord, the Lordship of Christ. And the diversities of activities, the actual operations that are ongoing, it is the same God who works all in all. In other words, it's the great, it's God the Father in, in focus here, who is behind the scenes working things together for his glory. And so we have the Trinity at work and they're working in unity in harmony now this is key to what he's going to say diversity in unity okay unity in diversity because you see in the local church of corinth there was a lot of disunity disharmony there were people that were following this party that party and they were following those who had special gifts and whatever uh, and they were neglecting other people and what he's going to say at the start is listen we take our pattern from the Godhead. We take our pattern from the Trinity. What a tremendous thought. Um, that pattern is now seen, he's going to see in the show in the local church itself. It's the same God who works all in all. So the source of spirituals and spiritual activities and spiritual gifts, it all comes from God himself. So testing spiritual gifts, sourcing spiritual gifts. What about aiming spiritual gifts? What is the aim of it? Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, uh, for mutual profit. So what he's saying here is that the purpose behind, as it were, spiritual gift is not that I think I'm great or that so-and-so down the road thinks they're great. That's not the purpose. It's not the purpose that... That, that our party is advanced, whatever that little party is, that little clique that you have in the, the local church. It's not that you're in a war with others that have similar gifts. None of those things. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the profit of all, for mutual profit. In other words, the reason why you've been given the gift you have, and each one is given a gift, it says here, uh, something of the manifestation of the Spirit in your life in a particular way, 
The reason why you're given that is for the mutual profit of God's people. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person has to speak to every other believer in the world or be a blessing to them, but in the sphere that they're in. Um, even in the local church, it doesn't mean that you use your gift necessarily for everybody else in the local church. I don't think that's the point that's being made. The point is that each is given for the benefit of each and every one in the company. So there's a, a blessing that's there for everyone from everyone else's. And any contact you have with other believers, you should be saying to yourself, I should be saying to myself, how can I bless them? How can I be a prophet to them? So instead of it being some kind of one-upmanship, as it was in Corinth too often, there is that desire to profit every other believer for the profit of all aiming spiritual gifts. What about number 8 to 11? Verse 8 to 11. Distributing spiritual gifts. 4 to 1 is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit to another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gift of healing through the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, I've rattled through that, but distributing spiritual gifts. You'll see what he's saying. He's saying, listen, here's some of the plethora of gifts that are out there. They are very different, and he's showing their differences. Um, they are varied. There's a great panorama that he sets before us of different spiritual gifts. Uh, different kinds of people given them. To, to one is given word of wisdom, another the word of knowledge. That's one group of people. To another, he changes actually, that's to a different one. That's heteros, another word for another. Faith by the same spirit. To another, that's the same one. Uh, just to confuse the issue he uses two words for another in this passage and seems to divide it into three types of gift to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another working of miracles to another prophecy and so on and then finally he says to another and that's a different kind again uh different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues now what he seems to be saying is this that there's groups three groups that are mentioned here but there's variety in each of those groups there's variety and it's for the blessing of all and behind every one of them is the same spirit so the person who's given um the ability to preach shouldn't think to himself oh look i can preach aren't i special aren't i better than that other person but that other person who's been given the gift of by the spirit of being a help to other people or to um, be a marked by giving to other people just to use some of the other lists of gifts for a minute you know does that make him any less the same spirit that gave him the gift of teaching and preaching gave that other person the gift of giving or the gift of helping or whatever it is and so the point is he's saying behind it all is the same spirit there is a variety but behind it the same spirit and then verse 11 but the one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each individually as he wills. Now this tells to us something of the personality of the Holy Spirit. The, per, the, the person of the Spirit. Uh, he speaks in for instance in Acts 13. He says separate unto me Barnabas and Paul. So the Spirit is a person. Not just a 
force or an influence. We've dealt with this in the local church quite recently. But it's good to, to see it again here. He, he distributes as he wills. It also shows the sovereignty of the Spirit. That he is sovereign. He is supreme. He does as he wills. And so the gift you've been given has been given to you by God. It is God who gave you that gift. Why should I look for another gift if God has given me the gift I have? I should just try to function in relation to that. Under the Lordship of Christ, verse number 5, um, I should work out what I have to do and how I can do it. Distributing of spiritual gifts. Then he illustrates this all in a great illustration from verse 12 to 31. We'll just look at this briefly. For... Let me see, just one second. <clears throat> okay, so verse 12 to 31. We've got five minutes to cover this massive section. He uses the illustration of the, the body. For as the body is one and has many members. He says, listen, the human body is one and it has many different members to do different things. And he says, so we being many are one body, so uh, are so all the members of that body being many are one body so also is christ or the christ he's speaking about body and head a head and body the, the body of christ and the head and heaven christ himself uh, for by one spirit and he gives us the doctrinal basis for what he's saying now first of all he's saying verse 12 and 13 is the main link there's a direct comparison being made main link uh, he's making between these two the body, the physical body, and the body of Christ. Is this for by one spirit or in one spirit were we all baptized into one body? Now I take it that's at the moment of conversion. We were baptized into the body of Christ. That's not our water baptism. That's not the thought here. But the baptism that we experience into the body of Christ by the one spirit or in the one spirit of one spirit. Through his agency. Um, whether Jews or Greeks. Whether slaves or free. In other words. It didn't matter our background. There was variety. But now we're brought into unity. And all have been made to drink into one spirit. Um, and we've been made to drink into one spirit. In the sense that. We have had in the spirit incorporated into us as it were. He indwells us. But we've also been brought into the sphere of the spirit. We've been made to drink into one spirit. So that's the main link, the direct comparison. Now, the main line that he's going to take out of this for, verse 14, for in fact the one, the body is not one member, but many. So one and many are the two main words here. This one and many is going to run down the whole of the rest of the passage. And then he's going to lift verse 15 to 24, some of the main problems. First of all, he gives us the problem of an inferiority complex. And how he addresses that, verse 15 to 20. Look at verse number 15. If the foot should say, I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? You should just imagine this for a moment, of course. Uh, look, at, look at that hand. Isn't it so useful up there? It can, it can do so many things. It helps my, my person eat. Um, I'm down here. I can't really do much. I'm just under the table. I'm under a shoe, I'm out of the way, I'm not really part of the body. I just I just am not really that important. 
Is it not part of the body? Of course it is. Of course, the, like you can imagine what it would be like if there was no food. The, 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 the hand can't help the person walk. And so here we have the first thing, the idea of um, an inferiority complex. I'm not really part of the local church. I don't have any particular gift. I, I'm not educated. I, you see some people, oh, they, they can preach and teach and do what not. And, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just a wee, I'm just not really that important. I'm just going to slink away into the background and do nothing. An inferiority complex. That's a danger. And the ear, if the ear should say, I'm not the eye, in other words, the ears kind of around the side of the head. It's not very prominent. It's not very nice to look at. Not the same way as the eye is anyway. I'm not the eye, I'm not the body. Is it not of the body? Of course it is. It's just as much part of the body as the eye. And then he goes on to explain this. If the whole eye body were an eye, where would the hearing be? In other words, if everybody was a preacher or a teacher or, or somebody prominent in the, the local church, what would happen to all the rest of the body? What, who would deal with the practicalities of running the local church. Who would deal with the giving the, that word of encouragement? What about the giving aspect of, of service? What, what about all different kinds of service that goes on in a local church? None of this would happen if you were all preachers or teachers or, 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 or some prominent, some I. Can you imagine an I bouncing along saying it's a body? It's not a body, it's just an I. If the whole were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God, God's behind it all. God's sovereign in it all. He set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleases. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. So here this is the inferiority complex address. He finishes it with, there are many members but there is one body. In other words, we've all got different rules, but we're all together in it. We're all one body. Verse 21, he's going to deal with, I think, the superiority complex. No. This is a person who says, I'm important and you are not. I have no need of you. You're not important to me. It's the person who, who's maybe prominent in the local church, a great tongue speaker in the context of 1 Corinthians. Uh, someone who can prophesy, someone who can do something that seems, makes them prominent. Others follow them because of it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So imagine one of these little cliques in Corinth. They were looking at all these other cliques. Those that were following Paul, some following Apollos, and all the other na names that are not mentioned. They've been transferred to Paul and Apollos. But it was all different people. Uh, and what was happening was there were some of these people and they were saying we don't need you that's what they're saying when they're getting into their little clique i have no need of you what about the head to the feet i have no need of you no much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary those when you think of it those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor in other words we put our clothes on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty we, we clothe those members that are, are less appealing to the eye or whatever it be. I mean, you think of how vital the inner organs are. You can't do without a heart. Can you do without a hand? Yes, you can. So there's a sense in which he says, often the, those that are 
are, are less reputable or necessary. Well, they all are necessary. And there are some, even if you like, more vital at times. Um, those who pray, for instance, um, to a local, in a local church. Some of these things that aren't seen in the outward. Um, I take it there's something of that in this little passage. A superiority complex. I can't say to someone else, we, I don't need you. Every one of us needs each other. Now, look at verse um, 24b to 26. Um, he says at the end, start at 24, just for connection. For our presentable parts have no need. So he's bringing that idea of superior superiority complex um, to a conclusion. He says the things that are most presentable, they don't need covering, they don't need extra attention. It's often those parts of the body that are less comely, less um, outwardly beautiful, that need special extra attention. Now remember that in the local church context, brothers and sisters, sometimes there are some believers, they don't have the same prominent gift as others, but they need extra attention and extra care because of that very reason. For our presentable parts have no needs. In other words, the eyes don't need people to always come and say, oh, that was wonderful. That See that sermon? It was glorious. Or whatever. Now, there's, there's a wee bit of where encouragement's always helpful. But just be conscious that there are some who need more of that than others. Now, the main goal of this comparison, or the way he's done this, the composition of the body. Verse number 24b. But God composed the body, having great, given greater honour to the part that lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice in it. You see what he's saying? He's saying that the very body has been tempered together and composed the way it is composed giving particular honor um, to those parts that lack you know clothing the inner organs that don't have any outward beauty for instance that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another and this is the great purpose of bringing the body together the physical body, it's that the members should each feel that dependence on each other, as it were. And that's so true of the church. That's what should be true in the local church as well. One member suffers, all the members suffer. One member is honoured, all the members rejoice. And then he brings it to the end when he deals with the main point of it all. He says, the main point is this, verse 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ, or actually you are body of Christ. We, we're, there's not a thousand, a million bodies of Christ around the world. Not every local church is the body of Christ, but every local church is body of Christ in character. The way I illustrate that, you think of an orange, you take a segment of the orange out, you can say that that is orange, that's its character. It partakes of the same character as a whole. You can't say it's the orange. You can say it's, it's. You can't really say it's an orange, but you can say it is orange. So that's the same here. You are body of Christ. You partake of the same character as the whole body of Christ. Every believer, and in a local church, that should then be stamped upon 
your gatherings, how you deal with each other, your body of Christ and your members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, and he's thinking of the large side of the church at the moment. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And then he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers? Of course not. Do you all have gifts of healing? Do you all speak in tongues? Do you all inter interpret? Of course not. He says, then he says, earnestly desire the best gifts. Now that seems to be in a local, in, in the collective sense of that. Earnestly desire the best gift. And then he says, what are the best gifts? We'll see that in chapter 14. Yet I show you a more excellent way. And he's going to go on to speak about love and the importance of how we love one another. So uh, that's very, very quickly through this passage. I know, knowing me, it's not taking... It's taken me longer than I intended to, but that's the way of it. Um, unfortunately, in a passage like that, I hope it's a help to you anyway. You can go and think about it, and I trust it will be a blessing to you. Thank you.